Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. We're going to have an awesome day today. We are continuing in a series. Well, it's not up there anymore, but Jesus Is is the name of this series. And we've talked about a couple of things. We said Jesus is grace. Jesus is friend of sinners. Last week, we had a special speaker, um, one of my pastors from my home church, C3. Gary Fowler was here last week, uh, last week Excuse me, and he said that Jesus is life. And so he told us all to get a life. I don't know how to feel about that, but... That's what he told us to do, and, uh, and it was a fantastic message. If you've missed any or all of these messages in the series, you can go to our website and you can click and listen to them. The podcasts are all there. They'll be a blessing to you if you've got a long drive or if you work out, uh, or, which I do neither of those. But if you have one of those uh, problems or issues, um, then turn on a podcast, listen to it, and redeem that time. It'll, it'll be a blessing to you. You'll love it. So this week we are going to continue with that Jesus is series, and I've actually decided to extend it one week. I said it was only going to be four weeks. We're going to go five weeks, so we're going to have one more week. I know you guys are so sad, but everybody's been telling me they love the series, and I said, well, we can extend it, so we're going to one more week. woo Nobody else is excited this morning, huh? You guys need to wake up. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate you're here. It's good to know my family and friends are here. It's nice. It's nice. I'm going to do to you guys what I do to my kids' magic shows. I'm going to make everybody stand up and shake your sillies out, you know, and kind of get ready. No? Nobody wants to do that either? All right. Awesome. There you go. There's some feedback. There's some laughter. That's right. Whether it's awkward or not, it doesn't matter. It's laughter. So we're going to jump right into the scriptures this morning. If you need a Bible, please just put your hand in the air. We'd love to give you a Bible. We are prepared and would love to bless you with one. Take it. It's our gift to you. It'll be your forever and ever Bible. It's an NIV version. But we are in Matthew 28. And uh, it's verses 16 through 20. The verses will also be up there on the screen. I'm telling you, I'm going to biff it with that cord laying right there. It's going to happen, guys. You, you guys will enjoy that. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. And it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, <laughs> to the mountains where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore... Go and make... Okay, just, just to preface this, okay? Jesus has already lived his life on this earth. He's been here 33 years at this point. He's died. He's resurrected. And these are Jesus' last words to his disciples before he leaves the earth and, go, and ascends into heaven, okay? So what he's getting ready to say is like the last thing. We all have that kind of experience. Like, man, the last thing they said to me was this. And this is exactly what that is. So Jesus says to them... Um, All authority in heaven has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I don't know what she's doing there, but I'm glad there's a surely right there. Surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Isn't that a blessing? That his disciples we get Jesus' promise that he is with us always to the very end of the age. Jump with me into one more verse. 
We're going to be at 1 John 4.15. And it says, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. These two verses, these selections are very encouraging verses. They're things that you get to remind yourself of, right? They're like your daily charge. Like, Jesus is always with me, and because I believe in Jesus, God is in me, and I'm in him. That's, that's exciting. Sarah, and I don't know why that's exciting to you. Just wait, I'll get there. I'll show you why it's exciting. But in other words, when, when we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, God's real, his authentic, authentic tangible presence is with us and so this week as we continue this series i want to call today this message is jesus is with you always so that's our jesus is jesus is with you always when i was a kid one of my chores and this was on a weekly cycle i had to take out the trash now taking out the trash from the kitchen to the trash cans was no big deal because we had a um, where we lived on calvin drive there was a carport, and there was a light underneath the carport, and the trash cans, so you'd go out the door, and we're under a carport, and the trash cans were around the side of the garage, everything within light, right? Now, I don't know about you guys. I'm not scared of the dark in particular. I just prefer the lights. You can ask my wife. I'm like, can we please have a nightlight in our room? I'm not scared. I just don't like the things that happen in the dark. We're talking stubbed toes. Anybody ever step on a Lego in the dark? This is not a fun experience, Okay. This is a blood-curdling scream. Like, it hurts bad. So if you've never had that experience, come hang out at my house. They're everywhere. Okay? But I just prefer to not experience what happens in the dark. Okay? I'm not scared of it. I just prefer the light. So when I would take out the, the trash, I, I could walk in the light to the trash cans, and that, and that was fine. But once a week, there was a time that I had to take the trash cans from, from, from around the side of the garage to, to, to the street. There were no lights out at the street, right? We had a light up at the house, and the carport would be lit, but, you know, when we're talking, like, from here to that back wall is the edge of our street and where we had to take the trash cans from. But I would say, like, here's how it happened. Every week I would go to the door. I'm like, all right, it's my turn to take out the trash cans. And Mom, Dad, you're right there. You can confirm this, right? I would go out, and I, and I have to give like, myself, like, a little bit of a, a, of a pep talk, right? You know? Um... It's like uh, emotional preparation. All right, come on, you can do this. You're 18, you can do this. <laughs> you, can, you can get through this. So, uh, but, you know, it's not like I was afraid of the dark. It was more like I, was, I, I had this vivid imagination. I was afraid that there was, like, bad people out there. Or has anybody ever gone to a trash can and had a raccoon come out of the trash can before? That's some scary stuff right there. You know what I'm saying? Nobody likes that. And at my neighborhood, that, that happened quite often. Because we're kids, we just wouldn't put the trash can lids on tight enough. And, you know, my dad, God bless him over there. I don't know how he tolerated us, but we just, we just didn't do it. And then there'd be a mess in the morning. So... Anyway, the likelihood of a, of a raccoon being over there or something bigger or scarier than a raccoon was built up in my mind. And so, here we go. We can do it. And, and you know, like when you're afraid of something, like when you think something's over there in the dark, you know what you do? We kind of like make lots of noise. We're like, hey, I know you're over there. Come out. I see you. I see. And nobody ever done this before? We walk inside and you know your brother's hiding somewhere. I see you over there. And he's like over here. You know, and you're, I see you. And then he jumps out and gets you anyway. It's a bluff. It's a bluff. But you make lots of noise and 
you start singing loud to yourself. That, that, that was my thing, you know. I had a little Carmen playing in my Walkman, you know. I, I'd start singing Champion or something else, but maybe this is not my generation to talk to about Carmen. Oh, there's a few of you out here. Okay, you know who Carmen is. You know who Carmen is here. Okay, all right, cool. And so I'd start, start singing something, you know, Satan, bite the dust. Like, right? <clears throat> and, uh, and so you sing loud to kind of scare away whatever's there because if you make noise, the raccoons will go before you get there. And Anyway, so... You go, I go up to the trash cans, and, uh, and again, you know, I'm underneath the carport for a little bit, and you get to go in, and you're pulling the trash cans, and they're making lots of noise. <laughs> Mine did. You guys have wheels? Okay, well, I wasn't that fortunate. <laughs> That's one. <sighs> and we had four. So we had to get them down to the street, and, and I would be fine as long as I had a trash can or something I was doing, but the moment I got down there with that last trash can, Something would happen inside of me. And I don't know what it was, but it was just like this. I don't know, like I hit an electric button or stepped on something that was electrified. But I would jump and then, boom, I was gone. I was to the carport. You know what I'm saying? Banging on the door. Let me in. Trying. Why are you locking the door? It's not locked. You know, Why is the door locked? Why is the door locked? I don't know. I was just afraid that somebody was going to come out and get me. Right? And it was fine while I had purpose. While I had something to take my mind off of it, I'm doing it. That second, man, boom, I was fast. That was like the only time in my life I was ever fast. From the street to the house. I don't like that. And so th- this happens. But, you know, if I ever had a friend with me or if I ever could trick my brother into coming out with me, it was a whole different scenario, right? Because I had somebody with me. It was like, no big deal. Maybe, maybe if they went around the corner first, I would go, boo, <laughs> I gotcha. You know, like I would, you scared, man? Scared of a little dark, you know. You take your little brother out there and you can start making fun of him for all the things you're afraid of, you know. <laughs> and, uh, but it's amazing what presence does, isn't it? It's amazing how just one person being there can change the whole scenario. The way I behaved before is not the way I behaved now. And it doesn't matter if it, if, if it was an adult or an itty-bitty kid. You have this thing, I don't know, something just shifts inside of you because of presence. And... Um, and it's a human condition that we all have, and, uh, and, and I think that God knows our human condition. He knows when we get alone that we get afraid. We get anxious. And, uh, and especially when we're alone and it's dark, literally and figuratively, right? Like a dark place in your life, whether it's dark outside or not. This is a dark place that I'm in. I'm scared. I don't know what to do. There's no money left. It's like that kind of dark place. And God knows that we are capable of intense levels of fear and anxiety from things that weigh on our hearts and mind. But just having somebody in the room helps, doesn't it? It just helps. Man, I want to tell you this. This is kind of just like a, a little segue here. This is free for you, by the way. If you are married or in a relationship, women appreciate or understand, and we need to understand and appreciate the power of presence, okay? Women just want us to be there. When you're having a conversation, which meant this means monologue, right? They're talking to you. They don't want you to talk back. They just want you to be there, right? And they're like, oh, I don't know what to do. And you have to just look at them and go, gosh, honey, that's really tough. I don't know what that's like. Come here. Let me hold you. Come here. When you and I both know we have the answers and we can have it fixed like that. You know what I'm saying? But if men, if we would just learn the power of presence, our women would appreciate that because they, they just want you to be there for them, 
right? And to know how difficult, whatever it is that they're going through, that's what they want. I'm not dogging you ladies, I'm just saying you're wired differently than we are, okay? So if we would just learn the power of presence, your marriage would just go through the roof. It'd be awesome for you. That's free. That has nothing to do with the message. Just thought since we were talking about presence, I would throw it in there. But it makes sense, right? That Jesus' last few words that he says to all of us, of all the things that he could challenge us with, that he could command us with. I mean, we're talking about the risen, glorified Son of God. This is Jesus now. He's got nails in his hands. He's got a hole in his side. This is Jesus who has been in the room and disappeared or wasn't there and appeared. This is the same Jesus now that we're dealing with. The one that's like, wow, where did you come from? Like the X-Man Jesus. You know what I mean? Like really cool. He's got nightcrawler powers. No? No other nerds in the room. That's cool. I got you right here. Thank you. This is Jesus, and what's he going to say to us, or what is he going to send us to do? His last sentence is, instead of giving us a command or a challenge, is, I am with you always. I'm with you always, because God understands our human condition. Even to the very end, I'm not going to leave you. I'm always going to be here. In a message like this, people begin to, uh, when they listen, they go, oh yeah, I hear what you're saying. But maybe you're sitting there thinking, yeah, you're you're talking to somebody else. You're talking to somebody who goes to church. You're talking to somebody who reads or somebody that prays, reads their Bible or prays. You must be talking about a good person because, see, I did a bad thing yesterday and God's not with me. No, that's, that's not true. Jesus didn't put a qualification statement on there. He didn't say, well, if you do A, B, and C, then I'm with you always. He said, I'm with you always. So it doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter what you do. Jesus doesn't get out of the car the second you drive five miles over the speed limit. You know what I'm saying? It just doesn't happen. And so we, we try to do that, though, because we want to earn that, right? We feel, and we've talked about that in the past weeks. We try to earn that relationship. We try to earn that position. But it was given to us, again, without anything, without a requirement for us. If you believe Jesus is the Son of God, he's with you always. That's it. That's it. In Matthew 28, 20, it talks about, about this, about this, this, or it says that statement, and this has to become our reality, that Jesus is with us always. How would you and I live if this was our reality? Think about that for a second. If you really believed that Jesus is with you always, if that was really your reality, how would you live different? Or how would you just be? Ever watch a TV show with mom or dad and it's like your favorite show ever and like one of those awkward scenes come on and you kind of sit up straight and you like look over at your dad and he's like, oh, come on, Aaron, really? And you're like, oh, yeah, this is horrible. Gosh, this is terrible. Turn it off. Man, that's horrible. You know you're going to pick it up and watch it later, right? But it's the power of presence, right? Dad is sitting there with you, and you're like, oh, man, that's just horrible. Can you believe they put that on TV and people watch this stuff? You're indignant. Power of presence, right? It helps you think clearly. It helps you to make decisions properly. It helps you to live your life right. It's the power of presence. But that power of presence will make you aware of things. It enlightens your conscience And I wonder if we truly believe that Jesus is with us always, how differently we would live publicly and privately. There's things we do in private that we wouldn't do in public, right? But 
if Jesus is with you always, would you still do those things that you do privately? Right? I'm going to just say this. This is not in my notes. But I've heard that who you are in private is who you actually are. Back away from that and just leave that hanging out right there for you. But back to Matthew 28. Jesus is getting ready to leave the earth. He's lived 33 years. He's done miracles. He's died. And now he's rose from the dead. And he's leaving his disciples. And he gives them a go. And this go is what we call the Great Commission, right? And you and I, as Jesus followers, are called to go. We are called to go and to be active, to do something, and live a life that is in response to Jesus as the Son of God. And so Jesus calls us to do that and to be carriers. For us as a church, we are called to be carriers of the DNA of Jesus into every corner of our culture and community, right? That's our job. Not just to try to count our calories or have a white picket fence around our house or build our bank accounts, but we're here to make time, leverage our resources, and find ways to serve people and make a difference here in Reynoldsburg. That's what we want to do at Simple, at Simple Church. And we want to take the Great Commission for real and live it out. To really, really live it out. I believe you can be a missionary wherever you go. Whatever you do, wherever you live, if it's outside of Reynoldsburg, you can live a life on mission, and that's what we're doing here. Fulfilling the go that Jesus gave us in that Great Commission. As disciples, that's our job. So how do you know who disciples are? I say this all the time. How do you know who disciples are? Disciples you will find doing two things always, or asking two questions, right? What is Jesus saying, and what am I doing about it? They live a life that is in response to those two questions. So as disciples, you'll know you are supposed to go. So wherever you go on mission, there's going to be risk involved. There are going to be challenges, right? There are going to be moments when you feel like you're all alone taking out the garbage. <laughs> you're going to be singing songs out loud, trying to pump yourself up that you're not alone. And you're not, but Jesus knew that you would feel that way. That's why he said, I'll never leave you. You ever wonder about, about people who don't know Jesus? In the Psalms, David did. Right? You read that a lot and you see him. He's whining and crying about, God, I don't understand it. I'm your son. I'm your servant. I don't get this, and I'm, I'm here in the middle of all this mess, and yet they're over there and they're prospering. They don't even know you. Why in the world does this happen? Well, let me tell you why it happens. As Christians, you need to understand that we have a target painted on us, right? Young preacher said to an old preacher, they're out hunting one day, and, uh, <clears throat> and he said... Um, why do good people seem to have more problems and challenges than the people, or I'm sorry, why do good people seem to have more problems and challenges than the people who don't know God? And the old, older preacher said to the younger one, he said, do you see the dead animal over there? He said, yeah. He said, why don't, why don't we shoot that one? He said, because it's dead. He said, that's right. We chase after the animals that are alive, right? He said, the enemy knows this, that when you are in Christ, you are alive. And so you are targeted. You are the one, the life that he wants to steal. He's not going to go mess with somebody that doesn't know Jesus. He's not going to mess with somebody who doesn't go to church or doesn't know God. He's not going to mess with them. He's looking for those that are alive in Christ. And so you are a target. Isn't that exciting? Nobody's excited about that. Nobody's excited about that. So there will be challenges and there will be difficulties. And you need to understand that while we have Jesus and we have hope that once we enter into his life, that we have a, a target painted on us, there will be challenges and resistance. And Matthew 28 is so important because even when those challenges come, and they will, 
God has promised to be with us, not just some of the time, not under certain circumstances, but has promised to be with you always. So when we're looking for security and stability, it's imperative that we find those things in Jesus, right? Do you know that even Jesus found stability in the presence of the Father? A very popular verse for Jesus followers that we encourage ourselves in the Lord is this. It's in John 16, 33. It says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. Look, that's an exclamation point. But take heart. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. You know what this reminds me of? (laughs) When I read this verse, I want to go, huzzah, and raise my Bible in the air. Huzzah! Nobody's a Ren Faire fan, huh? All right. It's awesome. But this, this phrase reminds me of Aragorn's speech from Lord of the Rings. Return of the King. You guys seen this movie? It's, it's 11 years old. Maybe you've seen it. He says, hold your ground. Hold your ground. This is the last battle. They're at the Black Gate. He says, sons of Gondor, of Rohan, my brothers, I see in your eyes the same fear that would take the heart of me. A day may come when the courage of men fails, when we forsake our friends and break all bonds of fellowship. But it is not this day, an hour of wolves and shattered shields, when the age of men comes crashing down. But it is not this day. This day we fight. By all you hold dear on this good earth, I bid you stand, men of the West. Do you guys remember this scene? It's like, I like got goosebumps. Like, yeah, I'm going to fight. And I'm like just sitting there, you know, on my couch. And throw my popcorn. But this verse is much like that. It's a, it's a battle charge. It's something to get you excited in the middle of the, the, of, the, of the darkest fight that you've got. Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. It is not this day that, you will, that I will fail you. But you know the context in which Jesus speaks this verse? Let's go back and look. Jesus is having a discussion with his disciples about who he is. And the disciples have finally decided, right? Jesus is getting ready to go uh, be crucified. So we're we're at John 16, uh, 31. So we were just at 33, that battle charge. We're at 31. And Jesus is getting ready to be betrayed by Judas, okay? And he's been with his disciples now 33 years. And the disciples have just decided, okay, we're all in, you're God. We're here. We're in. And Jesus responds to him like, I mean, like you would just think that after being with Jesus for three years, seeing all the miracles, blinded eyes open, like the lame walk, you know, uh, we're talking, he's, wrote, he's, he's, he's raised people from the dead several times at this point, and oh, by the way, he walks on water, and it's only at this point, after three years of this, that they look at him and go, we're in, you're God, Right? And uh, if I were Jesus, which I'm glad I'm not, I would probably punch somebody in the throat. Like, like now you believe? Like, uh, really? I'm just, I'm mad for him, right? And Jesus says to him, he says, do you now believe? This is uh, in verse 31. Jesus replied, a time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. And, look, and watch what Jesus says. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I am not alone. My Father is with me. He took solace. He took peace. He took comfort in the fact that everybody I know, every person I have poured my life into and been friends with for three years, and even the 30 years prior to that, everybody is going to leave me. But I'm not alone. 
The Father is with me. Jesus takes comfort in that. And it is from this knowing that he says, I have told, he goes, so now we're at 32, and then he jumps to 33. So it's with this knowing that God is with him, that he comforts them. And he says, I've told you these things so that in me, in me, you have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus, knowing what he was getting ready to face, took comfort in the fact that God was with him. The fact that his body was going to be broken. The fact that everybody would leave him alone. The fact that he would face the toughest thing. He would face betrayal. He would face the toughest things he's ever had to face. And he said, God is with me. Oh, and by the way, I've overcome the world. Take heart. That's amazing to me. But here's the tension for Jesus followers, right? We live in the world, and, and as Christians, we have a tendency, we want to we find those verses that say, come out from the world and, and don't be among them or be separate, you know? That's talking about in our action, in our heart, in our word, in our deed, but not necessarily where we live, right? Like, God didn't call us to go live in a treehouse and scavenge for food and hold water and, like, separate ourselves from everybody just because we're Christians, right? No, God put us here. And he put us here on mission where we're going to have challenges and we're going to have trials. We're going to have difficulties. We're going to risk some things and we're going to risk it all for him. He knew that because, let me just, if you think that we're supposed to be away from this world, that this world is such a horrible place, let me tell you what the Bible says about the world and what God says about it is that he loves the world. John 3.16 starts off with God, for God so loved what? You, me, No, the world. In fact, he says that the world, when he created it, was good. He has put us here to make a difference in people's lives, right? But it has to be more real to you that you are in Christ than the fact that you are in the world. Because when things start happening in the world, if your reality is, but I'm in Christ, then whatever happens in the world is not going to shake you. None of it will bother you. It doesn't matter that your walls are caving in. It doesn't matter that you don't have a dime in your wallet. Jesus is with you. When that reality is so real to you, nothing else matters. It's not that they're not important things. It's that the most important thing is that Jesus is with me. When your child is sick and you don't know what to do, Jesus is with me it has to be real to you being in his presence at all times the presence of the one who has overcome the world and all of its issues and god's presence has to ultimately be the antidote to any and all of our fears fear of financial insufficiency fear of lack of food lack of home every fear we have in life the courage and peace to face those issues is to be found in his presence not that he's going to fix everything for you. Not that it's, it's going to be... He, he could have said, you know, the verse could have said, hey, don't be afraid. I'm going to give you everything you need. I'm going to meet all your needs, right? When you're looking at him and, you, and you're talking about, like, listen, I need stuff. Like, I need a new AC unit in my house. I need my electric bill paid. Like, I need stuff, God. And it would have been better, right? We would have been more excited to see a verse that says, oh, by the way, whatever you need, I'm just going to give it to you. But that's not what it says. Let's look at Hebrews for the answer for this. It says, Hebrews 13, 5 says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Right? Covetousness deals with stuff. It, it deals with the wanting and the desiring of more stuff. Not that stuff is bad, but don't be overwhelmed with it. Don't be somebody that is driven by getting more stuff. 
Don't, be, don't let that be your drive. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will love, never leave you nor forsake you. The antidote to every need you have in your life is the presence of God. Don't worry about the stuff. Don't worry about it. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. <clears throat> to overcome the anxiety for things, stuff, challenges, issues, it has to be his presence. And we need to remember when we find ourselves anxious that, nope, God is with me. You guys, anybody ever talk to yourselves? You guys ever talk to yourselves? I, I do it all the time. I start to get a little nervous about something. I start to get a little shaken about something. And like, I heard it said that when you start talking to yourself, that the, the thoughts that are going in your head, they have to stop. You know why? It's like, because you can't be thinking about something and speaking and hearing something at the same time. Like I'm speaking and I hear right now. I hear what I'm saying and I've got this only this one track thought to get this out of me to you. So I'm not sitting here thinking about what I'm going to eat afterwards or what I'm going to do tonight. I'm not thinking about any of that. None of my worries are there right now. They're parked because I'm speaking. So if you just start talking to yourself, imagine if the self-talk that you did or the things you started to say to yourself out loud were things like this. Not Jesus is never, never going to leave me. When that anxiety grips you and that fear grips you and you just not... Now, that's, you look like a crazy person. It doesn't matter. If you don't want to look like a crazy person, just get one of those little Bluetooth things, stick it in your ear. People will never know. Never know that you're not talking to somebody on the phone. Anyway, that's what I think anyway. But to overcome it, you've got to say to, you've got to, say to yourself, no, he'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. And when we read that verse, look at that verse. It says, I will never leave you. And we have a tendency to go, I will never leave you, and I will never leave you. But that's not what it says. So you have to read your Bible, Right? says i will never leave you nor forsake you and we think those are the same things and they're they're not the same things leave means to let you down and forsake means to walk away so he promises that he won't let you down and he won't walk away he'll never fail you and he'll never leave your side those are two different things completely different things in the message version i think this is very encouraging so i'm going to put the message version up there it says, don't be obsessed with getting more material things. Be relaxed with what you have. Since God assured us, I'll never, leave, I'll never let you down, never walk off and leave you. Isn't that encouraging? That's encouraging. That's one of those verses that you can say to yourself, he's never going to let me down. He's never going to leave me. I want to make, as a pastor, I want to make the, the presence of God very practical to you. And we make the presence of God a locality issue, don't we? Like we go, all right, well, we're going to go be in the presence of God. That means we're going to Simple Church on 7369 East Main Street. We're going to go into the building. Or the presence of God is found in my quiet time in the morning when I'm sitting, you know, in my, in my office or in my bedroom. Or, you know, maybe you take the Bible literally and you have a prayer closet. It's just a closet, you know, and you shut yourself inside. Or it's a shower or it's your car. You know, like that, that's when I'm enter the presence of God or when I'm reading my Bible, then I've entered the presence of God, right? We make the presence of God about a locality thing, but when this verse says that Jesus is with you always, that means when you're in the boardroom, Jesus is with you. That means when you're at school and you're opening up your locker, Jesus is with you. That means no matter where you are or what you do, Jesus is with you always. 
everywhere, no matter where you go. And I want to say that that reality, that has to be real to us, that Jesus is with us always. I want to say uh, Paul, the uh, artist formerly known as Saul in the Bible, there was something different about this guy. He really believed that Jesus was with him. Like he believed it. He lived a life that, that reflected that. If you read his story, Paul is somebody who took a lot of risks. He got himself in a lot of trouble. I mean, we're talking about a guy who was beaten multiple times. We're talking about a guy who got stoned. And no, I don't mean with the funny stuff. I mean people threw heavy rocks at his head and killed him and left him for dead. And he got up and walked away from it. Paul's been bitten by a snake, shipwrecked in prison multiple times. And yet he carried on. I don't know about you, but if I was ever hit with a rock in the head, I don't know. I might think about preaching a little quieter. I might try to find a place that was a little more hidden instead of a building. Like, we're going underground with this stuff, man. You guys can try to find me. I will be someplace secret. I'm not getting hit in the head with a rock. Paul's reality was, something, was different, right? It was different. He believed that Jesus was real. And because he believed that Jesus was real, that he was alive, that he lived a life that was like, gosh, Jesus is with me always, and no matter what I'm in. <clears throat> and, and so Paul is this guy who, uh, if you don't know his story, he used to persecute Christians as Saul. And he gets knocked off his donkey one day by the literal presence of God. And Jesus says, what are you doing, man? And Paul converts. At that point, he converts, and he goes from being Saul to being Paul. But he was like a, a Pharisee. He was like a legal guy. He was somebody that was given authorization to kill Christians or to throw them in jail. And that's what Paul was doing until Jesus stopped him. And, uh, and so he becomes a Christian, and, and he starts planting churches all over the world, right? You think when I planted this church here, when God set my team out to go plant this church, that there wasn't risk involved? Of course there was risk involved. There was no assurance of a, of a paycheck. There was no assurance of, of a lot of things. We were just unsure. There was a lot of risks. And yet here we are, week after week, and God is blessing us. Amen? And so Paul goes out and he's planting a bunch of churches all over the known world. And he wrote four books called the Prison Epistles, right? And, uh, and that may sound really poetic to you. Like, oh, Prison Epistles, that's awesome, right? But it's not. Like, we're talking about somebody was in chains, he was bound up. Sometimes he was just in chains in a house, but other times he was in the inner dungeons, and these are nasty places to be. And in Acts 16, Paul is traveling with his buddy Silas, and they're going to a place to pray, which is their custom. They go someplace every day to pray, and, uh, and a demon-possessed girl, they're, they're in Philippi, and there's a demon-possessed girl who is following them, and she keeps on shouting out, these guys are men of God. That guy right there, that's Paul. He's a man of God. Follows him day after day after day. And this girl's got like a talent for like being a fortune teller. She uses the demon that's inside of her to, to give fortunes, and she has owners. She's a slave, and they use her in this way. People pay for a, 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 a reading. And she follows these guys, and day after day, and Paul doesn't even pray for her the first time he meets her, right? Which confuses me, but he doesn't pray for her. And like on the third or fourth day of her calling, this guy's a son, this guy, not the son of God, but this guy's a, a man of God. This guy, he's, 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 he's a Jesus follower. And she's screaming it. Paul gets mad and turns around and rebukes the devil and casts it out of her. And now the girl's in her right mind. And while he's done a good thing for her, the guys that own her that made money off of her reading are upset. And so they grab Paul and Silas and they throw him in prison. That's the whole story. Okay? Now, he turns them over to the jailer. These guys turn them over to the jailer. And the thing is, is the jailer, he's a, uh, I believe he's a Roman jailer. 
And the Roman jailer, this guy's a sick guy because he didn't tell him to put him in stocks and bonds, but that's exactly what we find out Paul and Silas are in. Now, when you imagine stocks and bonds, don't you imagine like Cedar Point and it's that big thing, you just kind of hang in it and everybody takes your picture, you know, you get your head in, your hands in, right? That's what you imagine stocks and bonds are. But in the Roman time, a stocks and bond would have been something that would have seated you in a position that would have extended your legs to a point where you were uncomfortable. You would have gone into spasms the whole time you were in there. The stocks were meant to be a tormenting kind of thing. That's what some scholars say. Other scholars say that the prison that he was thrown into, he was stripped naked and beaten and thrown into the prison, and he would have been about waist high in sewage. Now, either way, I don't know if you could pick A or B, and if you pick the sewage one, you are disgusting to me, but whichever one you would choose to go into, because I, I, don't, I, I don't like my own sewage, let alone anyone else's. You know what I'm saying? But this is, either scenario is not a desirable one, and Paul and Silas have been beaten and thrown into this inner prison. And either way, whether they're in pain or whether they are in sewage, I'm going to bet that Either of them would have preferred neither of those situations. Oh, we'll take option C. We'll go up there and eat with the, uh, with the rest of the guards. We'll keep our clothes on, thank you. Right? But that's not what they, they were doing. They were in prison. And in Acts 16.25, these are the most peculiar guys. This is why I say that there's something different about them. Because look what they're doing. Acts 16.25, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. What's a hymn? It's like how he loves us. They're singing to God, making a joyful noise. And the prisoners, the rest of them, all around them were listening to them. Can you imagine being in the cell next to them? About here, or maybe there, I don't know. In waste, miserable. No idea how long you've been there, but you're there. And you hear the two new guys that are in the cell next to you that should just be miserable, should be whining and complaining, I didn't do it, I swear I'm innocent. They're singing. They're singing. Oh, happy day. Happy day. Yeah. They're happy. Why? They know something that the rest of them didn't. They could have peace about something that the rest of them couldn't have. What was it? Paul's reality was that Jesus was with him always. That's his reality. And it's very real to him. He's aware of whose he is, and he's aware of who's in him, or, or who's he, who he's in, instead of the sewage. His circumstances don't matter to him, because he's in Christ. They don't matter. Whatever's happening to him is so much smaller than the fact that who he's with. Right? It's the power of presence. It's overwhelming him to the point that he is living a life where he is singing a song. He is singing happy day in the middle of waste. And the challenge is to be like Paul. And I don't want you just to act that way because the Bible doesn't say, hey, you're supposed to like your trials. You're supposed to like your tribulation. You're supposed to like sewage up to your man boobs. God doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say that. It doesn't say it. But you can know that in the middle of that, you can still not like those things, but know that who you're with is way more important than what you're going through. I mean, it would be silly to say, Lord, thank you for this sewage. We thank you for the sewage that we are about to partake of because we haven't been fed in a few days. Thank you, Jesus, for it. Nom, nom, nom. That's horrible. 
The idea of that just grosses me out. <laughs> we have to be like Paul. Not pretend, but let it be real. That Jesus is really with you. And you can live a life where you can sing in the middle of the waste. You can sing in the middle of the issues. Paul, you say, well, Paul, Paul was the apostle Paul. No, Paul, Paul was nothing. He got that title, but he said, I'm the least of everybody. I'm the least. Paul had relational issues. He had personal issues. He fought with one of the other disciples and they never spoke again. This is a guy who wrote the things that I don't want to do are what I do. The things that I do want to do, I don't do. This is a guy who was torn. He's just like me and you. Does that not sound like you? That's Paul. He's just like you. Nothing special about him other than he believes something different that maybe we are yet to believe fully. And that's that Jesus is with us always. And this, it's this kind of faith and trust that you and I have access to. We have access to it, right? To be pinned down, to be kicked, to be beaten up, that a, a song would come out of our inner beings, a song of praise to God because Jesus is with us. In Paul's story, God shows up and sets the boys free from the prison. And the next thing you know, the jailer, the guy who put him there and was watching over him, gives his heart to Christ. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Same guy who heard them singing, happy day. What are these guys doing? What do they have that I have? What do they know that I don't know? What do they have that I don't have? And he immediately surrenders his life to Christ His whole family is saved. And the next thing you know, there's a church in Philippi. Twelve years down the road, we find Paul. He's writing another letter. This time he's writing it to the Philippians. Because the Philippians had heard about what was happening with Paul. And Paul is in need of finances. And so they sent him a financial gift. And so Paul writes the book of Philippians. It's a letter to them. And guess where Paul is again? He's in prison. Again. If your life quality has not improved over 12 years, you know, you'd be like, all right, maybe this Jesus thing isn't cutting it, right? But he didn't. He wasn't in prison the whole time. He was just back in prison. And yeah, this prison was a little different. He was a little more free to move about the cabin. But they blessed him with a gift, and he writes back. And, 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 and it's strange how, how Paul writes this letter and what he says in Philippians 4.4. In the middle of chains, he tells the Philippians... Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. I'm not going to say it once. I'm going to say it twice. Because it's twice as nice when you say it twice. Rejoice. Rejoice. Because if He is with you always, you can rejoice. Always. Always. Jesus won't let you down. He won't walk away. And I don't know about you, but I want to live a life like this, right? A life that is in response to this truth. And what would change for us? What risk would you take? Would you invite somebody to church? Would you tell somebody about Jesus if you knew that somebody was with you? Would you treat your spouse differently? Would you treat your kids differently? Would your relationships at work be different? Would how you did your job be different? If you believe that Jesus was with you always, I mean, He is, but if you believed it, would everything be different for you? I think it would.
I think it would. And I, I always try to think about the full picture. I'm like, all right, so that's how it's going to affect me. If Jesus is with me, and I really believe that, Sarah. If I really believe that, then I'll live differently. But, but look at the bigger picture. Because, see, when you live a certain way, it's like ripples in a pond. Right? There are other people that you affect, just like the jailer. People that see you and they're like, hey, you should be sad right now. You should be broken. You should be going, God, why? You should be, oh, Lord, help. But you're singing. What kind of an impact would you have on people if you really believe this? This is the last time I'm going to say it. If you've been counting, I think I've said it 20, maybe 30 times. Jesus is with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. You know, maybe you're here today and, and you've given your heart to Jesus and you've been living a life, but yet you find yourself gripped by anxiety. You find yourself gripped by fear. You find yourself in overwhelming circumstances and you're, you're just not even sure what to do. But you hear what I've said today and you're like, Aaron, you know, I want Jesus to be the antidote to my fear. I don't, I don't want to embrace that as my reality. I want to embrace Jesus is with me as my reality. And I, I've been living a life with Christ, but absent from that truth. If that's you and you're here today, you already know Jesus, but you want to embrace that truth and you want me to pray for you, would you just raise your hand and let me know you're here and I will pray for you? hands up all over the room that's right it's because it's all of us it's me it's everybody here whether you raised your hand or not it's all of us we forget father i pray today that the power of presence of your presence would be so real to us god that no matter what we face no matter what challenge comes our way no matter what situation we find ourselves in that the that the fear or the anxiety or or just whatever the, the details of that circumstance would be trumped by the power of your presence. And God, not, when you're there, who can be against us when you're there? We can face anything when you're there. Lord, let your power fill our lives. Let your presence fill our daily lives. Give us boldness to speak on your behalf. Give us boldness to live a life in a way that we would impact not only this generation, but a city and our place of employment, our homes. God, give us the awareness of your presence. If you're here today and you don't even know Jesus yet, you've never crossed that line of faith, you've never said, yes, I want to make Jesus Lord of my life, but Aaron, what you're talking about, I want to know that. I want to have that peace. I live my life surrounded and I never know where to turn. I have no hope. If that's you, I'm going to count to three and I want you to put your hand in the air because today you can know Jesus. If that's you, I'm going to count to three. One, this could be a moment that changes the trajectory of your life. Two, when I say three, shoot your hand in the air and we'll pray together. You don't have to leave here the same way you came in. Three, if that's you, put your hand up. You can put your hands down now. I want everybody in this room to pray out loud, please, because nobody should ever have to pray alone. And you know, when you enter into relationship with Christ, you're entering into a spiritual family, a heavenly family, and the people in this room are part of that family and are here to love you 
from this day forward if, if they, you haven't already experienced their love. But let's pray. You repeat after me. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are the Son of God. Forgive me of my sins. And let me know in my heart that you are always with me. And I'm yours forevermore. I love you, Jesus. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, yours, as the, the benefit of accepting Christ into your life is that you're as sure for heaven as if you're already there. Isn't that an exciting thing?